Travellers, and welcome to Podcast 107 in our series, You Should Have Been There, with me, a nearly COVID-free Mick Webb. And me, a completely COVID-free Simon Calder. Today, we're talking about quantity or quality. Is there a correlation between the amount you spend on a trip and how much you enjoy it? In travel, do you get what you pay for? I think you can spend an awful lot of money on a trip and not enjoy it at all, or you can spend very little and thoroughly enjoy it. Uh, well, I know you've been collecting a broad range of views on this subject, and I'm uh, looking forward to um, hearing some of them. But um, my own um, off-the-cuff uh, reaction is uh, the more you spend on a holiday, the greater your expectations. So I suppose, in a way, the more likely you are to be disappointed. That is a very true point, and let's bear that in mind as we um, uh, wander through the, uh, the the backstories of our lovely listeners. But let's start with uh, what uh, these lovely listeners have to say about uh, last week's podcast, Good Trips bad trips. Here's a confession from um, Gail Kirby, who says that she owns but has never actually read Jack Kerouac's On the Road. I bought the book a while ago. Must get down to reading it. Well, you must, Gail. And I must say, reading your tweet has made me realise that I haven't actually read The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test by Tom Wolfe, although I mentioned it last week, and I am now going to read it. And as an example of how good the travel writing is, here's a fairly random sentence from the first paragraph of uh, The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test, in which Tom Wolfe, the author, is um, in the back of a truck, which is uh, hurtling down one of San Francisco's goes many hills towards the water. Out the back of the truck, the city of San Francisco is bouncing down the hill. All those endless staggers of bay windows, slums with a view, bouncing and streaming down the hill. Well, that's very good travel writing, isn't it? It certainly is. not and, and when finally Gail gets to read on the road, she will find occasional glimpses like that. And I'm now getting very excited about the entire, the idea of a, a, a trip around California fueled only by the recollections of people who were perhaps um, uh, um, on, on a different um, in a different dimension to the rest of us, because um, uh, that would team very well with some of uh, Kerouac's excellent writing. Ah, what a good idea! So you you get high on the writing. Uh, yes, that that would be the idea, and uh, also good to see how much of. Uh, this um, uh, still exists, as Tony Wheeler told us last week, the City Lights Bookstore, which was um, the the original um, place for, I guess, that's to start psychedelic journeys. Um, still there, apparently. Meanwhile, Linda on Twitter to at you should have BT brings in ayahuasca, which is defined, I see, as a psychoactive brew used both socially and as ceremonial spiritual medicine among the indigenous peoples of the Amazon basin. Uh, Linda says loads of people head to South America to try it. And she also points out, I must say it's really great having coca tea in the Andes. Not so great to have a US stopover and ignorant customs confiscating tea bags presumably on the way home <laughs> yeah i presume so i mean i must say i didn't enjoy uh coca enough to uh, want to have brought any home um although i have brought back mate from uh from argentina which is a similarly um 
acquired taste, I'd think, but uh, uh, the sniffer dogs weren't interested in it. I don't really think it smells very nice. There was also some talk on Twitter about a line, I stress, of lyrics, not cocaine, that I mentioned. Turn off your mind, relax and float downstream. Um, Yes, on social media, a lot of talk about it being a Phil Collins song. And indeed, yes, it's true. (laughs) Of course, it's it's Tomorrow Never Knows by the Beatles. Um, I I didn't even know that he had recorded it, Phil Collins, that is. um, And I'm afraid that sounds like a bad trip of the worst kind. Let's get on to our main topic, uh, quality and quantity in holidays. Uh, Would you say it's true that you get what you pay for which is the sort of thing uh, people do say about lots of uh, lots of uh, aspects of life uh, very much not uh, I, I kind of arrived at this conclusion when I was thinking about, of course, there's been much talk about the cost of living crisis. And when you've got a cost of living crisis, you inevitably have a cost of travel crisis. Personally, my index suggests that the price of pretty much any travel product has probably gone up since before the COVID pandemic by generally 25 to 50 percent. Um, and some things much more expensive even than that. So I was I was thinking, well, that's that's bad news for the traveller, or is it? And I think that you can have a perfectly uh, good, uh, indeed a brilliant time if you are not spending an absolute uh, load of cash. And I would cite as as evidence for this my worst ever and most expensive trip. This was uh, something that did actually deliver quite a lot of value to me in the sense I was looking forward to it for months. Mick, it was the ultimate Arctic experience. Um, Flying to uh, Western Greenland, boarding a ship, um, sailing along the coast of Greenland, going into Arctic communities across Canada, um, Baffin Island, all these great places. I was so looking forward to it. And while it wasn't a question of, right, well, I've spent, and this was for the family, I saved up long and hard. And indeed, my credit card took a bit of a hammering, £20,000 for a two-week trip. It was just out of this world. Um, And it wasn't my expectations were too high. I absolutely made allowances for the fact that this this is the Arctic, things are going to go wrong. But it was simply appallingly badly organised and indeed actually contemptuous to uh, the the people who were paying all this money to the extent that one, the the, the lowest point was in a beautiful bay just off Baffin Island. And all these lovely little icebergettes floating around and it looked absolutely perfect for cruising around in a little boat. But the only person cruising around in a little boat was the cruise director and her partner and their child who were enjoying the time of their life while we watched from the rail of the ship. Uh, it was unspeakably awful. Oh, well, that, that yeah, that confirms me that uh, uh, if you go on a cruise, you are um, a captive, as it were. And of course, it can be very good. But if it's not, then I presume it's horrible. So I never go on cruises. But there we go. Uh, yeah. 
Oh, but but the, the the ship itself was brilliantly run. It was mostly staffed by Colombians. They were wonderful, um, and so the it was a Polish ferry from about 1990. But they ran it really well. It was just you couldn't get off, off the ship. And um, here's Sheena Young who told us on Twitter, "I booked a cruise on Regent Seven Seas mainly for the itinerary, but I wanted to try high end cruising. They changed two days in Venice to two days in Trieste." Um, and that uh, also impacted the return travel time. Um, high cost, bad customer service, poor, she concludes. Now, um, Trieste is a beautiful city, but um, frankly, if, you, if you've if you invested in two days in Venice and you get uh, two days in a uh, handsome and interesting, but uh, not, not, not uh, unique uh, port like Trieste, I can see you'd be cheesed off. And what about you, Mick? Um, presumably you've got a worst trip. Um... Yeah, I think the worst holiday was when I was persuaded against my will uh, to uh, not go for about the fifth year in a row to a, a charming uh, little campsite in the centre of France um, at a place called Royer uh, de Vassivière in the Creuse department um, beside a very small lake. Uh, it was an air naturel, which means it's a kind of campsite where things are natural, which means <laughs> basically the water in the showers was freezing yeah. cold. Uh, there was no hot water at all. Um, yes. the, the lake was actually warmer than the, the water provided, but it was very clean. And the people who went there were absolutely lovely, as you'd rather expect. Uh, but uh, my children, for some reason, got a bit bored with it. Uh, uh, Alec, who by this time was probably about 15 or 14 or 15, said, if I have to walk around the lake fishing with Emile again, I'm going to go, I'm going to go mad and run away. So we... Uh, so I was persuaded to go instead to a, uh, I suppose what you call a high-end campsite on the uh, the western shore, a place called Saint-Jean-de-Mont. Sounds lovely. Uh, where there's, well, it sounds lovely, doesn't it? Um, and uh, the campsite, the description sound lov- sounded lovely. And we were going to meet some friends there. So the boys would have friends of their own age, which all sounded lovely. Mm. But it was an absolute nightmare. There's this long strip uh, of campsites which all give themselves four stars which come out of Saint-Jean-de-Mont down this quite narrow uh, road uh, but but a very uh, busy road and our stay at this place um, well it was the only time when I've actually had a tent broken into even oh. though uh, I've left tents and indeed um, belongings worth a bit of money uh, in the middle of nowhere uh, <laughs> with no supposed no. security guards anyway we had our tent broken into and our you can tell how long ago this was because we had portable cd players the boys had them and uh, we had uh, loads of great cds um by great rock idols like captain beefheart anyway all of this stuff and rem which were all stolen uh, most annoyingly um Oh dear, um, and I dare say, given it was such a long time ago, you you might have even had a few French francs stolen. Um, this, <laughs> You're quite right. This, this you? reminds us that um, that that uh, well, uh, cruise not cruise, I think, and and certainly not high end uh, campsites. Uh, well, I wanted Nick to get the perspective on the relationship between the cost of a trip and the experience from some proper explorers and travellers. So I went along to the Royal Geographical Society in Kensington in West London. It already sounds quite high-end and I've, I've heard of course of the Royal Geographical Society but I, I haven't really any idea of how you 
become part of it? Are you invited or do you just hand over loads of cash? Oh, no. Well, it, it is a learned society, just as there are for all kinds of other uh, professions or pursuits. And uh, you you can become a member. And uh, if you're proposed, you can become a fellow of this. But yes, you've got to get some some, some miles under your uh, under your belt or under your boots. Um, and it's also a great location uh, for, for the occasional travel show and for uh, great uh, lectures. There's a wonderful Ondaatje theatre which which is a fab, fabulous venue anyway next to a fantastic um, 17th century flemish map of the world i discussed the subject of payment versus pleasure for travel with jan morris no not she the great travel writer but she the very nice lady from guernsey what's the best holiday the best trip you've ever had that's a very difficult one because I'm fortunate enough to have done quite a few. But I would say um, actually going to uh, North Korea was very interesting and taking the train from Beijing to Lhasa was exceptionally interesting. Um, I've been to the North Pole as well, which was um, not quite so interesting, but a bit more unusual. Um, and I was just trying to think of other places that are very unusual. I like Japan, but that's not that unusual these days. But, but um, the, the trip where you've just felt, oh, I, that, that was just so life-affirming, so um, enjoyable. I think Socotra, which is an island off the coast of Yemen, which I've just come back from, which was so different to anywhere else you'll see in the world. It's noted to be the Galapagos of the East because it has many indigenous plants and um, not so many animals because they have lots of goats there which are everywhere but some birds as well which are interesting and it's completely undeveloped and I think sadly it might get developed in the future which won't necessarily do it any favours. Might do the islanders some favours but uh, <laughs> was that the most expensive trip you've ever done? Um, no, no it wasn't. Um, the, probably the most expensive trip was the Antarctic where I went from Ushuaia to the Falklands, then to South Georgia, and then down to the Antarctic Peninsula and back up. But en route to get there, I also went to Patagonia. And on the route back, I went up to Rio. And that was probably quite expensive. But I, I guess the most expensive trip was the round world for a year, um, which I did 32 years ago, and went to some very unusual places, particularly in China, where... Um, Sadly for the Chinese, there was, Tiananmen Square had just happened and there were very, very few foreigners in China at the time and I was backpacking and um, I'm quite tall with very blonde hair and I st stood out uh, to everybody. So that was quite an interesting trip. Yeah, and that was expensive because the whole year was spent backpacking, which despite the fact backpacking is generally cheaper, when you spend a year doing it, it's probably the most expensive trip, yeah. Do you think there is a direct relationship between the amount you spend on a trip and the amount you enjoy it? Uh, no. I think you can spend an awful lot of money on a trip and not enjoy it at all, or you can spend very little and thoroughly enjoy it. I mean, for example, we've got so much in Britain here that you could do extremely cheaply and have just as much good a time as going off to some far-flung place that isn't that great. It's quite interesting that uh, Jan that she'd been to Socotra, which I know you have been to uh, quite recently, actually. And uh, 
uh, we never really got into quite why it was so fascinating and more to the point how um a jewel of biodiversity in the Arabian Sea. Yeah, I looked that up on Wikipedia. Uh, and is considered to be on a par with the famous, very famous, much more famous Galapagos Islands. And yet, um, Socotra actually belongs to one of the most benighted countries uh, in the world, Yemen. Uh, certainly. And it's a... a, a, a well... First of all, it's very different. I've been lucky enough to go to the Galapagos and to Socotra, um, neither of which was my most expensive trip. They they both cost a fair old bit, particularly the Socotra one, where you were told you need to bring a bag of money, um, I think $1,200, to pay for your flight from Cairo um, to uh, Socotra. And I think they even took it off us at the arrival airport uh it, which was which was very unusual um so about a thousand pounds for that it's not like the galapagos where you have amazing creatures that have been uh evolved from isolation but you have got some absolutely gorgeous uh um flora in particular the dragon tree which are these very melancholy looking um trees which which just sprout up everywhere uh you've also got astonishing sand dunes which are the size of a small town you have uh, exquisite uh landscapes you've also got just really nice people and you cannot quite fathom how they are part of the same country, which very sadly, before the terrible conflict in Ukraine, was much in the forefront of our, our minds because of the terrible war and the, the, the uh, d- desperate times of the people there. Um, so, yeah, Socotra, I would strongly recommend. Um, uh, and interesting that, that Jan seemed to think it was going to be spoiled. I think it will be hugely enhanced by mass tourism because it would be done properly. I don't think it would actually be that many people going there, but it is the most exquisite Indian Ocean Island and it would create lots of jobs. It would bring lots of wealth. And uh, I think the locals would love you and me going there, Mick. Well, that's uh, that's very nice. I'm looking forward to seeing a cucumber tree, which uh, sounds yeah. kind of rather uh, exotic. And uh, there are loads of very, very uh, lovely uh, looking, because I've seen some photos, birds as well, which are um, endemic. The Socotra sunbird uh, has a particularly nice name. Um, uh, although I believe the birds are rather uh, threatened by non-native feral cats. Uh, yes, it's one of those things where there's uh, one great benefit of, of tourism would be to bring in the degree of conservation that is needed yeah. to protect this extraordinary, uh, extraordinary environment. Meanwhile, back at the Royal Geographical Society, I got talking to Susan Latham and she told me her best ever trip was one in East Africa. It must have been a trip a few years ago when I went to Uganda. I was with a tour company. Um, The tour came to an end and I decided to stay on Entebbe on my own. And I had a better experience on my own than I had with the rest of the group. Um, I was walking around Entebbe on my own. Um, I had a white, um, I had a t-shirt on 
um, with the Swahili words um, uh, for white woman, and all the local <laughs> children actually thought that was that was very very funny. And all I got was smiles everywhere I walked. Um, I didn't feel threatened at all. Um, and you can smile in any language. Um, and I just and I also when I travel as well, I always it doesn't matter where I go in the world. I always try and at least learn the local word for hello, goodbye, please, and thank you, and that can get you get you places. Well, I always uh, learn the uh, overseas uh, the, the foreign word for um, or the foreign phrase for um, two beers, please. And unfortunately, my friend Mick uh, always learns it for my friend is paying. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, yes, I always know how to order a, a pint of beer or a glass of wine. Yeah, um, but Entebbe's um, stood out for me again. I went to a wildlife centre. Um, it was in May, so it was dry season, hardly any tourists around. And um, I went into the wildlife centre, and there was a guy that obviously wanted, you know, to, to show me around. And I so I had the guide, and he was showing me around all these exotic wild animals. It was just me and him. I felt like I had the whole park to myself. Um, he knew the animals there. So, for example, they had a couple of um, rare white rhinos. And he just... They were in this pen. And uh, because he worked there, obviously, as a guide, he said, I'll call them over for you. And he was just calling these little baby white rhinos over <laughs> to me. So I got to... And I thought, well, I, the chances for me being able to pat and actually talk <laughs> to, um, in inverted commas, to a white rhino, a baby white rhino. I'm never going to get a chance to do that in my life. So and you can't really put a price on that. No, no you can't. Um, but no. you can put a price on other trips that you, you've had, presumably. Have, have you had a, a very expensive trip which you haven't perhaps enjoyed as much as that? I, the one that comes to mind, I spent thousands, as you do, um, probably the United States of America, actually. Um... Places like um, when you go to um, somewhere like um, oh, Florida and you, you go to all these, it's, it's a, I can't remember the name of the place, it's like Orlando where you yeah. have all theme the parks, uh, yes. theme parks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to be honest, I just thought they were all something and nothing, to be honest with you. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. You're talking about the Long, theme parks I love. <laughs> long queues, although, you know, you can, I suppose you can entertain yourself. Um, in long queues. I suppose it's, I, I don't know, I just thought that was more, um, I, I suppose perhaps I just prefer holidays where you can encounter wildlife and encounter locals a, a lot more. Well, I really do feel some kind of bond here with Susan. Because you had a t-shirt saying white woman. <laughs> no, I did actually once have a t-shirt when I was a, um, working as a journalist uh, in uh, El Salvador during its uh, very long running and generally unreported uh, civil war, which um, I was very proud of, which uh, showed a, uh, a group of uh, dodgy looking military people pointing, uh, it was a cartoon really, pointing rifles at uh, a sad looking character holding a microphone. Um, and the uh, logo th was, uh, don't shoot, I'm a journalist, no tire, soy periodista, which I, I wore um, uh, quite proudly and then wondered whether actually this was a great idea. <laughs> Well, that sounds like having uh, the epitome of having a target on your back. Mick, what were you thinking? Yeah. 
I, I think in my naivety, um, I thought that the uh, Salvadoran military, uh, who were implacably uh, engaged in rooting out guerrillas and killing them, um, uh, had a sense of humour. <laughs> Let's get back to the big question of best and most expensive holidays. Um, Russell Gray, I've got here. First family abroad holiday abroad aged 12 to Mallorca in August 1973. It seemed very exotic at the time. That was his uh, best one. Most expensive, three weeks in Santa Monica, Las Vegas and San Francisco in 2011. Worth every penny. And Curtis says that he decided in 2019 to impress his new partner and fly first class to Tokyo, stay in the club room of the Ritz-Carlton, have two weeks of absolute heaven every minute was a treasured memory we still look back on in amazement but equally a rainy weekend in Brighton going for fish and chips and a walk through the lanes could have been just as good he does recommend though the treat of living like the other half do it was really amazing and will never be forgotten I like the idea of the the week rainy weekend in Brighton because I remember during the, mm. the the lockdown or when it when it was relaxed because I'm not a member of government so I kind of generally um, respected <laughs> the rules. Um, my partner Steph and I went down to uh, East Sussex and uh, discovered. Uh, mm. oh, I've rambled on about it before. Uh, what I considered to be a hidden valley, uh, the Breed Valley. Uh, absolutely wonderful. Just miles and miles of of uh, of, of uh, sheep covered uh, uh, grasslands um, with a little railway, a sort of one track railway running through it, a few rivers and no roads at all. So that was actually so astonishing. It felt a bit like going to Patagonia or somewhere extremely expensive and being uh, blown away by the discovery. Here are Ian Lisa recollections. So many treasured holidays from early 60s onwards with parents to Berlin solo in 2019. His best was Switzerland in 1967 when aged eight with parents. It seemed out of this world. Very lucky. Most expensive holiday? Peru and Ecuador in 2005. My grandmother had died, left me some money. My chance to go anywhere in the world? So I did. Peru first to Machu Picchu. Flew over the Nazca lines, then to Quito and out to the Galapagos Islands for a week's cruise. Absolutely stunning. My gran would have approved. She went to the South Atlantic area in 1979. Worth saying, actually, Ian, that um, you, you mentioned going to uh, Switzerland, what, 55 years ago? Quite possibly you would go there now. It will be your most expensive holiday, but that's another thing. Meanwhile, Deborah Thomas says a trip to Asia was best and priciest. Taking the whole family to Kuala Lumpur and Borneo, seeing the wildlife. Yes, expensive, but oh, so worth it. Um, set the kids up as nature lovers for life. But... Gillian uh, Rogers says, most treasured, our silver wedding cruise to the Black Sea, Istanbul, Troy, Gallipoli, Ukraine at its best, Odessa, Sevastopol, Yalta. Um, most expensive, Baltic capitals. Great places, but it didn't have the pull of the Black Sea history or the warmth of the people. Well, Gillian, um, uh, if you listen to next week's edition of You Should Have Been There, um, you will find that I did meet some very warm and interesting people. I'll be talking about my trip to uh, Latvia, Lithuania and Estonia. Lots of the trips people mentioned were family focused. 
Annie QPR said, most expensive Florida, most memorable and cheaper Colombia. Backpacking with the kids, amazing experience. Let's finish on a high with Ian Atkinson, who simply says, I've really enjoyed every holiday I've had. And yes, even in retrospect, the worst holiday can bring some joy. I've just returned from the Baltics, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. Can't wait to tell you about that next time. And in particular, the weirdest tour I've ever had, which was by Google Translate. Well, Google gets everywhere, doesn't it? I cannot wait to hear more. So until next week, from uh, me, Mick Webb. And me, Simon Calder. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.